You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Chapter 20. And in just a few moments, we're going to read this passage of Scripture together. It's a passage which has searched my heart this week. I suppose most of us think that uh, we might struggle with many of the Ten Commandments, but there's one that we'll never have a problem with. Commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. But as I've studied the Word of God this week, it certainly has probed my heart, and I want to share that with you in these next few moments. Many of our singles are away today on a ski and Bible conference. You'll be praying for them and praying for their safe return tomorrow. I believe they pack up and... Uh, leave the uh, snowy mountains of Colorado and head back in our direction. Also, while you're standing, let me add a word of appreciation to those of you who are a word of appreciation for those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We're just thrilled that you're here. We pray the Lord will speak to your heart. And let me just say we'd love to have you as a part of the First Southern family. I really mean that. And as the Lord speaks to your heart this week, I would encourage you in this service to make that decision for the Lord. Now, let's read together verse 13. This is commandment number six. And we are studying together. If you are a faithful member and a tender here at First Southern, you already know this. But for those of you who visit, we've been thinking together about the Ten Commandments as they relate to our homes. And so this morning, commandment number six. And in a few moments, we're going to be thinking together about catching murder in the making. Catching murder in the making. That's the topic of the message. Now, the scripture passage, just four words, even if you don't have a Bible, you can certainly uh, say it aloud with us. But let's read together the sixth commandment found in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 20. Let's say it together now. Thou shalt not kill. Let's repeat it now. Thou shalt not kill. I'm going to ask our ushers, if they will, please, to find their places. They're going to help us as we, this morning, give of our tithes and of our offerings unto the Lord. And, of course, this is a wonderful expression of worship. In many ways, we worship through our singing, through our praying, through the studying of the Word of God. But one of the greatest ways of worship is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. In fact, we read in the Bible that we are instructed to give of our tithes on a weekly basis. This is a way we have of reminding ourselves that it is God who owns everything. We own nothing. And he is, we are simply stewards of all the resources which he has placed at our disposal. And now we're going to ask the Lord to put his hand of blessing on this offering. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? And Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we come with heartfelt praise and thanksgiving expressions of joy and appreciation on our lips. And at the same time, Heavenly Father, we know that one of the crucial ways, the critical ways in which we acknowledge your Lordship is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And Father, our prayer is that in these next few moments that you would find us faithful, you'd find us faithful in worship and in stewardship. And dear Lord in heaven, we ask that uh, the preaching of the word be attended with power, and that the Holy Spirit would be so obviously present, manifesting himself as he speaks to our hearts, plows up our lives, and sows the seed of your word into it. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd think through me your thoughts and speak through me your words. And Father, we're trusting that Christ would be so lifted up, so magnified, and so honored 
that every one of us would leave this place not saying, my, uh, what a beautiful place or what a wonderful message, but we would all say, Heavenly Father, although the message and the music and the setting and the people were so wonderful, my, what a wonderful Savior we have. And we want to serve him with our lips and with our lives. Now, Heavenly Father, bless us as we worship you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Thank you, Brother Gary. Let me ask you to open your Bible once again to the 20th chapter of Exodus. And while you're doing so, let me take just a moment to say a word of appreciation to some folks that you never see. And I'm speaking about those who work in our nursery. I don't know if you've ever been over there and walked through that area, but it is a beautiful, beautiful area. One of the things we do is to encourage parents who have children three years of age or under to uh, place them in the nursery for the wonderful, loving care of those people who are in the nursery during the worship service. It'll help you to be able to worship, but in addition to that, it'll help the folks around you to be able to worship during our service. And all you have to do, if you have a child, is just ask one of our nursery, or rather one of our ushers, and they'll be happy to escort you to our nursery. And this will make this a beautiful, blessed experience for them as well. They have a good time in that nursery, I can assure you. And it'll help you to have a good time in the worship service. Now, with your Bible open to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to come to the sixth commandment. We're more than halfway through now with the Ten Commandments as they apply to the home. The Ten Commandments as they apply to your home. And just a few moments ago, I was visiting with someone about this particular series of messages. You know, it's hard to imagine something as rigid, something stated so openly and blatantly, something with which you could have absolutely no intellectual argument as being one of the greatest documents ever given to man. It's hard to imagine it applying so effectively to our homes. And yet, at the same time, every one of these commandments has an impact upon the home. And I want to encourage you to join with me for the balance of these messages. This evening, we're going to be looking at the seventh commandment, commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. There are many people who wonder, what does it mean to commit adultery? What can you do if you violated that commandment? How should you approach God? What does God have to say in his word in that regard? What is the damage of adultery anyway? I read from this platform uh, just a few months ago a paragraph out of a textbook which is used in high schools. And in that textbook, the paragraph that I read literally condoned adultery. It said, usually no one is hurt, usually it doesn't distress the family, but the truth is just the opposite of that. And of course, people's theology often is developed out of their morality. And it would be very easy to write a textbook saying adultery is all right if you're an adulterous person. And so this evening, we're going to be looking at that seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I would encourage every parent in this auditorium to be present and every partner to be present and every teenager here this morning ought to be back this evening because teenagers, I believe, I can share some information with you from the Word of God and in the Spirit of God which would enable you to keep yourself pure and holy for the one partner God has for you. And I trust that this evening when you come to the service, God would minister to your life in a significant fashion. That's commandment number seven this evening. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now this morning, commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. And I'm speaking this morning on this subject, catching murder 
in the making, catching murder in the making. I'm quite confident if we took a survey this morning among just the people in this auditorium, we would discover that of all the Ten Commandments, there is one commandment most people feel there never will be in danger of breaking. And it would be this Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. There are people who say, well, I know I've probably taken the name of the Lord God in vain, and I know that there are Sabbath days that I have, have not remembered and kept holy, and I'm sure there are times when I've had other gods before me, and I know that I may have, I may have stolen or I may have lied or I may have problems with marriage fidelity, keeping myself pure, and I know I may have trouble coveting things that other people have, wanting what they have for my own, but there's one thing I'll never be guilty of, and that is the violation of the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. I just don't think I'll have any problem in my heart or in my life with killing someone else. But could I ask you this question this morning? Is there someone in this world you wish were dead? You wish were gone? Have you ever said in a moment of rash anger, you know, I wish you were dead, or get out of my life forever, or I could just kill you. Have you ever said anything like that? Have you ever wished someone were dead? Have you ever just come to the conclusion in your heart because that's where sin begins, and by the way, that's where God starts keeping the record in the heart. Have you ever just written someone off in disdain and scorn and come to the conclusion that as best you can tell, the world would be better off, if not the entire world, at least your world would be better off if that person were dead? Well, this morning we're going to look at this sixth commandment and all that the Lord has to say about it as we catch murder in the making. Now, I want you to notice with me, with your Bible open, that God has given us a divine admonition. That's the first emphasis that I want to share with you this morning. God has given us a divine admonition. Now, what is it? It is this simple commandment, four words, thou shalt not kill. It's clear there's no need for any misunderstanding of this commandment. In fact, with your Bible open, let me remind you that the word here for kill is a word which refers to something other than someone dying as you are in the act of defending yourself. It refers to something other than the accidental death of another individual. The word here in the original language literally means to murder or, or to slaughter someone. To come to the conclusion in your mind that that person's life is no more valuable to you than anything else and that you can just take that individual's life. Now, that's what it means, to murder someone. By the way, there are two sides to this original definition of murder. It means either to say they would be better off without the world or the world would be better off without them. Now, we didn't used to have to preach about this business of, of they being better off without the world. But in our contemporary society, more and more we are beginning to practice what is called euthanasia. That means a good killing or a mercy killing. It's coming to the conclusion that this individual's life would be better off if they weren't alive. And coming to that kind of a judgment on your part, assisting that individual in death. But you see, the Bible says 
when, it, when, when we read these words, thou shalt not kill, that you are not given the privilege of judging whether the world would be better off without an individual or an individual would be better off without living in this world. That's what this commandment means. Thou shalt not kill. Now notice several things about this divine admonition. First of all, it is personal. It applies to you. Thou shalt not kill. You shall not kill. Now, of course, he's speaking to the body at large, but he is also speaking to each person as well as every individual. That means that no one in here has been given a special dispensation. No one in here has been given special permission from God to take another's life in their own hands. Now, I say that because there are people in this world who believe that while, you know, the average individual wouldn't know when it would be good to take someone's life, well, that they have been given a special dispensation from God, either by their intelligence or by their training or perhaps by the particular discipline that they're in, that while others are not given this privilege, they certainly have the privilege of deciding who should live and who should not live. Now, we're going to see where this really comes to a play in just a few moments. But this is personal. It is for everyone. It is for each person in this room. Thou shalt not kill. Notice it is also pronounced. Thou shalt not kill. There's no need to misunderstand that. It's not to be done. It's not to be done. If you could catch the original intention of this commandment, it would say you shall not, not in any case, not in any fashion, not in any way. No, you shall not murder. Now, that's exactly what the Hebrew intonation is. So it is personal, it is pronounced, but notice it is also precise. The word is clear. You shall not slaughter. You shall not murder another individual. You shall not, and this is the interesting in, in, inference of the Scripture, take a life. Here's someone who has life, young or old, in any stage of life, at any age of life, in any kind of condition of life. You are not privileged to take life away from them. Thou shalt not kill. Now, as I've been uh, announcing this particular sermon the last week or so, I have said to you that this particular commandment strikes at the heart of what I believe to be one of the most heinous crimes committed in our nation today. And friend, I don't believe that God is going to let America get by with its approach, with its attitude toward abortion. Now, I believe that I am speaking to people here this morning who by and large are of the Christian persuasion, of the Christian faith. Many of you would say, I'm conservative. Some of you say, Brother Tom, I'm not quite as conservative as you because I believe if you took one more step to the right, you'd fall off the end of the earth, which you probably still believe is flat. And you would say, uh, I, I may not be that conservative, but I believe most people here this morning would agree with me that abortion, to, to commit an abortion is indeed to murder. Make no mistake about it. And this commandment strikes at the heart of that issue. By the way, we're going to see in a few moments that that issue has become more than the issue of aborting little children. It has come to the point where, just as we have been saying all along, if you consider life to be something you can hold in your hand and make a judgment call about it, why then you'll not only do it for little unborn children, you will do it for those in other ages or other stages of life. I listened recently to an interview with a man 
from Europe who is the head of the Hemlock Society, a society that believes that people ought to just have, you know, they could come to an age or stage of life where they say, well, I don't think I want to live anymore, and they ought to just be given the freedom to join with somebody else in the taking of their life. And the Lord God says, by the way, life is so precious that not only is another individual's life at your disposal, your own life is not at your disposal. I am the judge of that. Now, you know, the people who argue the case for abortion are literally blowing in the wind. Every one of their arguments is filled with fallacy. Now, you can't convince them of that, about that. It's very hard to reason, although I'm beginning to see a turn in the hearts of many people. In fact, I'm very closely acquainted with a man who, during the early part of his life, as a physician, performed abortions. I realize many of you would be shocked to discover this, but before Roe versus Wade, before the Supreme Court said abortions are legal, the U.S. government through its armed forces was already performing abortions by the hundreds among those who were ladies involved in the military services of America who had become pregnant, who decided they didn't want that child, and so they were sent to a certain hospital, and there this physician, among others, uh, performed abortions on these ladies. He showed me his records before Roe versus Wade. He showed me the records of the abortions which he performed. Now, you see, abortion is a judgment call. Now, here's what many people say. They say, well, uh, if this child is born into this world, I don't believe I'm properly able to take care of this child. Well, if that's the case, then why don't we go onto the street and why don't we find every child whose uh, parents are not properly tending to the needs of that child? And what? Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's just slowly dismember that child. You say, oh, that would be horrible. That would be murder. No, that's exactly what abortion is. It's the judgment. This child would not be well, his purposes would not be well suited in this world. And so in the womb, we're going to just slowly dismember this child. We're going to pull off an arm and a leg. We're going to somehow puncture the head until this child dies and remove this pieces of what some people call a child, but we just call the products of conception. Some people say, but in the womb, it's different. Listen, friend, at every age of your life, you have been assigned a certain protective environment. When a child is just a little child, you say, stay in the yard. Don't cross the street. Even younger, that child stays in a room or perhaps in a playpen there in a room. Even younger, just a few months old, that child is in a little baby bed or a bassinet. Every one of those is designed for protection. And God's first place of protection for a little child is a womb. And it's interesting to me that if you walked in a room where there was a little three-day-old child and dismembered that child, you would be a murderer. But three days earlier, moments before exiting the womb, you can dismember that child and you're just making good sense. No, God says that's murder. That abortion is murder. Other people say, well, I don't think that this child will have a good life. I don't think this child can live. I don't think this child can be fed properly. Well, if that's the case, 
then why don't we go find every child in this world who does not have the proper diet as we would judge a proper diet, and instead of dismembering that child, why don't we take some acid and simply dissolve the skin on that child so that child can no longer live? You say, that would be the worst thing in the world. How painful, how awful, especially with, with no protection just to throw acid on that child and burn it to death. That's precisely what that saline solution does when it is injected into the womb and begins to scald and burn and deteriorate the skin of a child. It is murder. Someone else would say, well, let's find every child who's not getting in life what we believe they ought to get. And let's just take a chemical and inject it into that child until their heart races wildly so much that it literally explodes and they die. Or another chemical to slowly drag down the rate of heartbeat until the child just dies. That is exactly what happens in the womb when abortion takes place. Now, we have been saying all along that once we took it in hand to make a judgment call, and to say as a nation it is legal for a doctor, for a mother who is in terrible distress over being pregnant, it is legal for them to make a judgment call over whether this child should live or die. We have been saying for years when that takes place, then we're going to begin to look at other strata of society and say, well, you know, in their case, it should be legal for us to just displace them. It should be legal for us just to take their life. I happen to have been living in Denver, Colorado, when Governor Lamb of Colorado made his famous, when you get to a certain age, it's your duty to die speech. Can you imagine that? And yet he was heralded by the secular humanists across our nation. That's right. Yes, when you get to a certain age or stage of your life, it is your duty to die. God says that is murder. You shall not, in a premeditated fashion, you shall not judge that a person's life is worthy of displacing. You cannot take that individual's life. Thou shalt not kill. It is a divine admonition. It is personal, it is pronounced, and it is precise in its meaning. Now, most people here saying, that's it, preacher, go get them. Boy, I'm glad I'm on the safe side of this issue. And by the way, some of the most wonderful testimonies of grace you could ever hear from people who are members of our church who in earlier years practiced abortion or had an abortion performed on them. And now the reason they're able to live and to smile and to go on with life is because God has done a miracle work of grace in their hearts and brought healing to the emotions as well as healing in every aspect of their life. And I praise God for the loving, healing power of the Lord Jesus. And my friend, I don't know how lacerated you have been in the past and what decisions you have made that have brought you contrary to the purposes of God. I know that in Jesus Christ, all things can be made new for you. And this morning when the invitation time is given, if you look back in your life and say, I made a judgment call, maybe about a little baby that was in my womb, or I made a judgment call as a physician about someone else's baby, or I made a judgment call, I was going with this girl and I encouraged her to get an abortion because we didn't want our parents to know about it. I made that kind of call. Listen, friend, there is help for you and there is hope for you, but it is only in Jesus Christ. And I would urge you to come to this altar and say, look, I need to find the love and the forgiveness in Jesus, the peace and the purpose that can come to a person's heart when they trust in Jesus alone as Savior and as Lord of their lives. So I would urge you to make that decision this morning. But I want you to notice a second thing this morning. 
And that is that this commandment, to this commandment, Christ has also given us a distinct amplification. Let me say it again. First, we have God's divine admonition. Now Christ has given us a distinct amplification. In other words, this commandment means more to it than perhaps you thought. This commandment has more in it than perhaps you have ever imagined. And so let me ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And here we have our Lord's comments about the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Look with me, if you will, please, beginning with verse 21. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. Here Jesus says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, that is, in days gone by, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, this judgment would be a court usually comprised of 23 men who sat at the gates in a position of authority in each town. And when an individual killed, that is, when an individual committed murder, he was taken before that court at the gate, and he, the death sentence, it was capital punishment, was pronounced on that individual. But now Jesus says there's more to it than first meets the eye. He said, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause, that is unprovoked, unjustified anger. You say, well, I, I'm angry, but it's justified. Now listen, friend, you need to see people the way God sees them. So he says, whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And here again, he's referring to that court. He says he's going to be in danger of, being, uh, of the judgment. And then he goes on to say, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, this is a word which meant you empty-headed or you worthless person, shall be in danger of the council. Now that would have been like the Supreme Court. That was the Sanhedrin. That was the highest religious court of the land. So he shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, now this was a word of disdain, shall be in danger of hellfire. And the word there to describe hell is the word Gehenna. It is the word our Lord often used to describe the awfulness of hell because it was a vivid picture to anyone who had ever been in Jerusalem or who lived in Jerusalem. The Valley of Hinnom was the valley where all the garbage was thrown. In the Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom fires burned constantly, burning up the refuge of the city. It was in the Valley of Hinnom that bodies were tossed of people who uh, had, uh, had, had committed awful crimes and whose lives were taken. It was in the Valley of Hinnom on some occasions that the sacrifices to Moloch were made as they would take little children, and the Jews did this on occasion, and place them in the molten arms of that god Molech, and those children would be burned up there in the Valley of Hinnom. And so smoke was constantly ascending, and fires were constantly burning, and Jesus used this as a visual aid to help people understand what hell is going to be like forever. Now, notice here that, first of all, Jesus establishes the authority of this command. Jesus says, you have heard it said of old time. Every once in a while, I meet people who say, well, I'm not one of those Old Testament people. I, I, you know, the Old Testament was good for its day, but I'm a New Testament person. Well, let me tell you something, friend. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
And so Jesus starts out by establishing the authority of this command. And by the way, may I tell you that when Jesus deals with the commands of God, he never, listen, he never minimizes those commands. He never says, you don't have to respect or obey that anymore. He never said that. In fact, Jesus always, as I've said, amplifies or extends the meaning of the command. And so Jesus here says, don't neglect this. Don't negate it. This is authoritative in your life. It is in the old custom, but the old law, the Old Testament, but it is for you today. He establishes the authority of this command. But notice, he also extends the area which is covered by this command in verse 22. First of all, he says, murder is something you should never do, but I want to remind you that unprovoked anger, just anger for anger's sake. You take a guy that goes out and gets drunk, and he comes home and he's just looking for a fight or somebody who's, who's got it in him. I've met people whose spirit is just to be angry. They are looking for a fight and they're going to be angry at anything or anybody that crosses their path. And so the Lord Jesus says unprovoked anger is dealt with in this command. He goes on to say this command also deals with the individual who can look at somebody and say that man or that woman or that child is worthless. That person is worthless. Whosoever shall say to that person, raka, this is a word which meant empty-headed or vain person, a worthless individual. And so he said that the murder is chalked up when you murder that person in your heart. You look at that individual and you say the world would be better without him. The world would be better. My life would be better without that person. When does God start keeping record? When you raise a knife or pull the trigger? No, God starts keeping record, Jesus is saying, when you write that person off in your heart and say, if I never see that individual or I just as soon damn that person to hell. How many times? wonder how many people here have had words like this flow out of that mouth. Damning people to hell damning people to hell, acting as God, even using God's name to do so. And so here he says unprovoked anger, and then he says you look at somebody and call that person worthless. And then he goes on to say it even includes this. A person who says you fools shall be in danger of hellfire. And the word that is used here is a word of disdain and scorn. I hate you. Words like that ever come out of your mouth? I hate you. I scorn you. I disdain you. I'll tell you, the Lord God has worked my heart over as I have read this command. I've had to go back and look at my own relations. I've had to go back and consider certain individuals, and the Lord has brought me to a new level of prayer for certain people because I see how closely a man can come to just disdaining someone or scorning someone or coming to the conclusion that individual would be better, my life would be better if that person was gone God said, let me remind you, the Lord Jesus himself said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. But is that your response? Do you say, I had just as soon them be gone from this earth? I hate them. I wish I never saw that individual. Jesus said, it is covered in this command. And he explains the awful consequences. And he uses words like the judgment 
that is the court there in the town. He uses words like the council, that is the supreme court. And he uses a word like fiery hell, Gehenna. He said a person who violates his command is in danger of that. And so you see, Jesus is amplifying the meaning of this command. Now back again to Exodus chapter 20. We've said, first of all, that God has given us a divine ad admonition. Secondly, Christ came along and gave us a distinct amplification. He said, don't you write anybody off in your mind. Don't you say, I, I, I could care less about that person. I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Don't write them off in your mind. I wish them dead or the world would be better off without their presence. Because God, he said, starts keeping records when your heart imagines it, when your mind conceives it. That's when God starts keeping records. So finally this morning, I want you to see that you and I must make a determined application of this command to our lives. We must make a determined application of this commandment to our lives. You see, this is not the command that you need to just scoot under the table and say, well, I'm not ever going to kill anybody, so this is not for me. Preacher, let's get on to the ones about lying and stealing or honoring your parents. I might need to learn something about that. But this commandment requires that you make a determined application. Now, you say, well, how can I apply this commandment to my life this morning? First of all, I want to challenge you this morning to see the serious nature of this command. See the seriousness of this command. It is there for you personally. God didn't make one-tenth of the Ten Commandments to deal with something that he thought you'd never have a problem with. What God is saying in this commandment is everyone's life. Listen, young people. Listen, parents. Listen, brothers and sisters. Listen, everybody. God is saying life is a holy trust. Everyone's life. Your parents' life, your children's life, the little person next door, that little child, that old man that walks down the street, that person over in Ethiopia, every person's life is a holy trust. You need to see the seriousness of this command. But notice also there's another way that you and I can make this determined application. We can see the significance of Christ's statements about it. He says murder begins in the heart. God starts keeping books in your heart. Now look carefully at your heart. What have you said in your heart? I've met people who said on occasion in their heart, and they've come to confess it later on, well, I just came to a point in time in my life where I thought, you know, if something just happened to my husband, it sure make my life a lot easier because I, I don't want to divorce that person, but it just should make, or if something just happened to my wife or if my parents would just disappear suddenly, or if that child that's causing me the heartache would just disappear, or if, if this would happen or that would happen, or if I would never see that person again, it would be so easy. Listen, friend, there are folks here who would tell you that that could be the most heart-rending thing in, the li in your life to never see certain people again. No matter what the, the grief or the heartache or the difficulty, don't ever say, I just hope that person gets out of my life forever. 
I just hope that person gets out of my life forever. Every individual, because the Lord showed me this week. He said, Tom, you know those individuals, individuals that down through your life would, would, would be abrasive to you and rough toward you? He said, instead of chafing at that, why don't you realize that I'm using those individuals to deal with your own heart? Now, they may never know that, and they may, they may in their own folly continue being disobedient to God, but Tom, you learn from them what you are supposed to learn from them. And you learn from me that my grace is sufficient to love. But don't you ever write anybody off. Don't you ever consider anybody worth, worthless at any stage or at any age in life. So see the significance of Christ's statements here. And then finally, see the sensitivity. First of all, the serious nature of this command, the significance in this command, and finally, see the sensitivity needed in this command, needed in our relationship with other people. Let me just close with this illustration. On occasion, I will go to the different members of my family, and I have asked them, um, is there a promise I have ever made to you that I have not kept because I... I want to make sure that, that I picture the Heavenly Father to the extent that I always keep my promises to you. Is there any promise I've made to you that I've not kept? And I'll ask each of my children, I've asked my wife that, any promise I've ever made to you that I've not kept? And if I need to seek your forgiveness, well, then I need to seek it right now if there's any promise I've not kept. And then I've said on occasion to my family members, as I've gone to them just privately, just each one at a time, I've said, uh, um, is there something I have ever said or done that has been an offense to you? I want to make sure that our relationship as father and children or uh, husband and wife, whatever it is, I want to make sure that our relationship, that we always have the air cleared. Is there anything I have said to you ever that has hurt you that you can remember? If you can remember, don't worry about me. You just tell me the truth. You just tell me whatever it was that I said that hurt you. Well... <clears throat> Generally, I pride myself, you know, in, in situations like this because, you know, we have a tendency in our family to say, oh, you're the most wonderful this or you're the most wonderful that or no, everything is just great and, you know, you're just, I couldn't ask for a better this, that, or the other. But one time, I asked that of one of my children and I was amazed at the response because immediately that child called to mind an event that had taken place about three years earlier. It had taken place on a hot afternoon in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And you would not understand this, but in Zimbabwe, you just don't pick up a phone and make a phone call to somebody overseas. Uh, you call the operator. You tell them you want to make an international call. And they say, well, you'll have to talk to the international operator. And so you call the international operator and you say, I want to make an international call. And they act like you're crazy. You want to make an international call? Well, isn't this the international operator? Yeah, well, that's why I'm talking to you. I want to make an international call. It's been one of those afternoons. And they'd say, well, when do you want to make it? And I'd say, right now. Well, we can't do that right now. Uh, we'll have to schedule you. When, and one time I waited three and a half weeks, and one, the operator called and said, we're ready on your call. And uh, <clears throat> this was one of those days where I really desperately needed to get a call through to the USA. And I... Uh, I couldn't, and it just wasn't working, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. And finally, finally, we got the call connected. 
And I began talking to this individual, and this child came in, totally oblivious to the fact that I had been, you know, just sweating blood to get through on this phone call, and just began talking, can I do this? Would it be all right for me to do this? What about, can, do you think it'd be all right? And I kept saying, shh, shh I'm on the phone. But Daddy, I need to talk, I, I want And finally, when the phone call was over, I did not remember this, but that child was standing there, and I said, I could just shoot you. That's just all I said. Three years later, that child broke my heart with the remembrance of that event, that careless word. Well, I know that I, I couldn't have, but I know just that word indicated to that child, my daddy would think his life would be better without me. And although this child said to me, now I know what you meant and I know how that goes, and it, but, but the child said, I can still remember it and I can remember how I felt when you said it. You say, this commandment's not for you? Friends, I think it's for everybody in this auditorium. I think it's for everybody in this auditorium. You may never load up a gun. You never may take a bow and an arrow. You may never take a stick of a dynamite or a cup of poison, but my friends, your thoughts and your words can drive deeply into the hearts of other people. This message, I think my world would be better off without you. And to that, God says, thou shalt not kill.